The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Good morning. Some of you, this is your first time at the uh, West Pines headquarters. For some, it's the first time over there at the Cooper City headquarters. And if that's you, my name is Special Agent Barnes. I'm one of the special agents here. And you are, as it would appear, the new recruits to become officially licensed agents. Let's have a look at you. We've got a lot of work to do. You will, over the next few weeks, be given a series of five lessons. Each one of those lessons will culminate in a mission. You will have five missions to complete. If you complete all five of those missions, only then will you be a fully licensed agent. Now, are you excited to begin your agent training? Well, you shouldn't be. This is not going to be a walk in the park. This is going to be death-defying missions. It's going to challenge you in every way. Um, And here's what you're going to need for the mission each week. You are going to need your manual. Every agent needs to, uh, to bring their manual each week, either a hard copy or you might have a copy on your computational device. You need to bring your manual. Every agent needs to study their manual every single day. There are agents out there that don't study their manual. This is a life or death situation that is not a wise move. You need to study your manual every day. However, if you do not bring your manual with you, I have my slide projector here, and I'll have the slides of the manual that we're looking at in question up on the screens. Now, I would like to begin, before we get to the particular part of your manual we're gonna be looking at, it is a section with a single name on it, John. We're gonna be looking at that section in just a second, but I would like to begin with a story of a group of agents. This is a true story, and to do that, I'd like to bring up my first slide on my projector. There we go. This is a city in India in Chennai, India, Madras, India. And this story takes place there in India. Now, the, um, the agents that were stationed there were stationed just across the street from what they call a shadow city in Chennai. The name of that shadow city that is a slum usually overridden with crime, usually overridden with uh, various types of uh, oppression, exploitation, substance abuse. And I, uh, the, the agents that were stationed there right across this particular shadow city, the name of the shadow city was Venkatapuram. Venkatapuram. And this particular uh, place was slums. There, it was shanties and shacks, jam-packed, full of people, and it was overrun with all types of crime, 
and substance abuse. So things like this, like it was not uncommon to walk through these slums and find just people in the middle of the day passed out from drunkenness, just unconscious around in, uh, in the area. What the government did is they came in, they knocked down all of the shacks, all of the shanties, and they built four large apartment buildings. And their mind that would give greater infrastructure to that community, but as you can probably imagine, if you change the architecture of a place, but you don't change the people, not much is going to be changed. You're just going to take the same problems and make them vertical. So that's what happened. So they, 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 you would walk through this um, shadow city, this slum, these apartment buildings. You'd see constant fighting taking place, just people just getting in fights, substance abuse, uh, people just passed out from drunkenness just on the side of the road. And one of the accounts of the area is that kind of like a symbol of this location is that just constantly raining down, you could hear the sound of grotesque profanity almost at all the time ringing through this apartment complex. Now, this group of agents stationed right across the street from this in Chennai, India, decided that they were not going to do nothing about this shadow city. They were going to take action. And what they did was very, very simple. A small, small little step. And it actually, a few years ago, turned this entire shadow city around. Now, I'm going to tell you about that in just a minute. But before I get to that, I want to show you some slides. I want you to take out your manual. I want you to go to the section called John. And we are going to take a look at uh, the very beginning of that section, John chapter 1, verse 1. I want you to see what that has to say. Let's go here to our first slide, and we're going to read through these here. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, this is the way that John begins his story of the person of Jesus. Now, which John are we talking about? This is John, one of the disciples of Jesus. This is John, who was arguably one of the closest humans to Jesus, very close to Jesus. And he's going to give his account of Jesus' life and ministry. But John does not start his story the way the other gospel accounts start their story. And it's very likely that John had access to some of the other accounts. Very likely he had access to the book of Mark, the book of Matthew, maybe even the book of Luke. He's writing his a little bit later, but he writes his very differently, as you see. What John does is he does not start his story in Bethlehem. He doesn't start it in a stable with a manger, with a baby, 
laying on hay wrapped in swaddling cloths. That's not how he starts it. He rolls way back, and he gives us this soaring language. He starts like this, in the beginning. Now, this is not the only book that starts with those words. Can you think of another book of the Bible that starts with those words? What might it be? Genesis. You agents are ahead of the curve. Well done. Great job. The book of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, starts with the phrase, in the beginning. And John is taking our minds to that same, like that's how far back he's going. He's not going back to like right at the beginning of a new era. He's not going back to like uh, one or two or three or four BC. He's going all the way back to the very beginning. He wants us thinking Genesis 1 because he's going to talk about using the words of creation. He says, in the beginning, and then he says this phrase, was the word. Now, our English word, word, that makes sense? Our English word, word, is just a very straightforward word. I'm pretty confused already. I don't even know what I'm saying. Hopefully you're following. The English word, word, it just means word. It's a very simple word. However, what's written in, um, here it is, what's written in the Greek New Testament is the word Lagos. This is a much richer, nuanced word than our English word word. This is a much more nuanced word. Now, let me just read you one definition. This is from one theologian. His name is Wayne Grudem. He puts it like this. The Greek term for word by which the apostle John referred to Jesus in John 1.1, as applied to Jesus, the term implies both the Old Testament concept of the powerful, creative word of God and the Greek idea of the organizing and unifying principle of the universe. Did you get that all right there? Pretty complex. Let's break this down a little bit. Here's what he's saying. He's saying this Greek word lagos is pulling from this very rich Hebrew concept of the word of God. In the Old Testament, the word of God represents several things. For starters, it represents God's authoritative, creative power because in Genesis chapter one, God creates the universe through his words. Now, there's other things about God that are used metaphorically, the face of God, the hands of God, the mighty outstretched arm of God, but it doesn't say by the hand of God or the outstretched mighty arm of God was the universe made. No, no, it uses the concept of his word. It is his words that are powerful, creative, and authoritative. It's part of the Old Testament concept of the word. The Old Testament concept of the word also includes his revealing of himself. So as the Old Testament goes through, you have the prophets. And it was not uncommon for the scripture to say things like, and the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah or Isaiah or Hosea or one of those prophets. And in that moment, God was going to be revealing himself, expressing himself, expressing maybe his anger and wrath towards wickedness and injustice and oppression, or maybe revealing his love 
for his covenant people. He was going to reveal himself and express himself. And so John says, in the very beginning, we have the word. We have the authority and the expression of God's power, and we have God's revelation of himself. But he's also not just drawing in the Hebrew, the rich Hebrew idea of the word. What some theologians believe is he's also pulling in the rich Greek thinking of the word, and they, the philosophers, the ancient philosophers, use this idea of the logos as this technical term for meaning the unifying principle that pulls together everything in the universe. It's the central, rational, logical concept that unifies and pulls everything in to the universe to make it make sense. And so John is using all of these lofty concepts. He's not starting with a manger. He's starting all the way back in the beginning, and he's making our minds soar to think of the very, very beginning of creation, before even creation happened, and there was something there. There's something there that unifies all of the universe, that expresses God's revelation of who he is and expresses his creative power. And he says, in the beginning was the word. Now, what is this word? What is it? He says, the word was with God and the word was God. And it says, he was in the beginning with God. This word is a hymn. It's not a concept. It's not an idea. It's not that, you know, that unifying principle is love or it's a concept like unity. It's not that. This unifying, the unifier is a hymn. God's expression of himself is a hymn. The one through whom God's authoritative power is expressed is a hymn. In the beginning, there was a hymn, and it says this, and he was with God and was God. Now, how can something be with God and also was God? I want you to think of it like this. Let me give you an example. I want you to imagine... Um, one day when you are a fully licensed agent, you may be overseeing and handling undercover agents, um, agents throughout the world. And let's just say there is a famous diplomat that needs to be protected. We'll call him Ambassador Fred. And Ambassador Fred, there you learn through the chatter that there is a threat on Ambassador Fred's life. And so you need to get your best agent to protect Ambassador Fred. And so you get Agent Shadow Wolf. He's the only one that can be trusted. And so you get Shadow Wolf to protect Ambassador Fred. And all of a sudden you hear from headquarters, hey, there's a, going to be an assassination attempt on Ambassador Fred. Is Shadow Wolf with Ambassador Fred, and you say, no, Shadow Wolf is Ambassador Fred. And the big twist is all along, he has really been an, uh, an agent named Shadow Wolf. Okay, here's why I say that. You can't be both with someone and also be that person. So how possibly could the word be with God and also is God? 
And this is an unbelievable concept that is taught all through the scripture, something that we've been talking over the last few months about the very nature of God that may defy our ability to fully rational, rationally appreciate, but the nature of God is God is triune. He's a trinity. God is, there is one God that is eternally expressed in three equal persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, what John is saying, in the very beginning, there was God. Existent in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Son of God, there was never a time when the Father created the Son. There was never a time when the Father created the Holy Spirit. God was always eternally existent in three persons, yet there is only one God. You say, that's hard for me to grasp. Of course it's hard for us to grasp, for all of us. This is the very nature of God that he's revealed to us. So here's what he's saying. In the very beginning, there was God, and one of the persons of God was the Son of God. He is through the Son of God, God is revealing himself. Through that second person of the Trinity, God is expressing his power. This is where John is starting his story about Jesus. It's just about as lofty as you can possibly get in describing the person of Jesus. And then he says this. I want you to go to verse 14 in John chapter 1. Here's what he says. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He says that word, that word that is this, the, as lofty as it could be, it's the second person of the eternal trinity. He says that word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now you've got that word dwelt there. That is again, that is a, a very rich word in the New Testament. The word for dwelt is actually the word that we use for also translate as tabernacle. Now, what's the tabernacle? I'll read a definition from the New Bible Dictionary. The tabernacle, commonly so-called, was the portable sanctuary in which God dwelt among the Israelites in the desert. We have a picture of what it could have looked like here. I'm going to pull up this slide. It's broken. It's, it's an old projector. I'm sorry. Okay, there we go. This is an idea of what the tabernacle, based on the biblical description, would have looked like. It was a tent. And you've got this tent that had big curtains over it and tied down. It was fenced off. You have an altar and a basin out front. And if you walked through that first uh, curtain, you would be in the holy place. And there'd be other uh, furniture there. And then there'd be another curtain on the inside. That inside, farthest inside room was called the Holy of Holies. And inside there would have been the Ark of the Covenant. And that Holy of Holies, only the high priest and only once a year would the high priest enter into the Holy of Holies. 
And that was after he'd done all of these rituals. He would have bathed himself and washed himself, and he would have done all these sacrifices, and it was a special day that was supposed to be handled in a very specific way. And the high priest would walk through that curtain once a year into the Holy of Holies, and he's walking into the tangible presence of God, where God dwelt. And if that was not handled correctly, or someone else walked in, or it was a different time of year, that person would be struck dead by the glory, the awesome, holy, perfect glory of God. Now, this tabernacle, essentially, this is the first temple that God had his people built. This is eventually Solomon, many years later, would build a temple out of cedar and stone and gold and silver, and he would build this, this uh, a fixed temple there on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. But the first temple that they built was a tent. It was portable. They moved it around with them. They would be directed by God to go to one part of the wilderness. They would put the tabernacle, and that's where God's presence would dwell among them. And they would come close to the tabernacle, and they'd sense God's presence. And then once a year, the Holy Spirit, or the uh, high priest, would go into the tangible presence of God in the Holy of Holies and would be there in, in the presence of the awesome, holy uh, presence of God in, 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 um, in his glory. And John picks up this idea to describe how Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the expression of and revelation of who God is, the one through whom God worked in power, the unifier of all of the universe that holds all things together, he said that person showed up on earth, tabernacling among us. He was housing the very presence of God, and instead of curtains, he was, it was in flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, the, there's a technical theological term we use here. It's incarnational, and it comes from the Latin. In the Latin translation of this, it says the flesh is the word caro or carne, which in Latin means flesh, and so we have the theological term incarnational, which means that Jesus is God in the flesh. His body is the curtain housing the very presence of God. It's God, like a tabernacle, moving around through his people, going around teaching, healing, um, eventually dying on the cross, raising again, raised again from the dead. He is the presence of God housed in flesh, tabernacling among us. You follow me? Okay. John says, we have seen his glory. And John, uniquely of the disciples, saw Jesus when the veil, the curtain of his flesh, was removed and he saw him in his full glory, John uniquely saw him on two occasions like this. The first time was on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was Peter, James, and John. They go up a hill. They're following their rabbi, their teacher, the one they believe is the Messiah. They are with him every single day. He's their good friend. And as they're walking up this mountain, just the three of them and Jesus, 
he transfigures before them. Imagine how terrifying that would be. I mean, whatever he transfigures into, it's weird that you're transfiguring. But he transfigures, and what he transfigures into literally terrifies them to death. It says his, he radiates light like the sun. They can't even look at him. And they throw themselves on their faces, and a cloud comes down. The voice of the Father speaks, and it's not until Jesus raises them back up that they can dare pick themselves up. Now, many decades later, to our knowledge, John is the only person living that saw Jesus do that again. He's now seen, at this point, he's seen Jesus hanging on the cross, dying, dead. He sees Jesus risen again. He then spends his life traveling around the known world, preaching about Jesus, talking about Jesus. He knows Jesus. He's a mature believer at this point. And one day, he has a vision, and Jesus appears to him again like this. He's told people about this story of the transfiguration, I'm sure, throughout his life. And now Jesus does this to him again. And what is John's reaction? Oh, this is Jesus doing that thing again. This is interesting. No. He again throws himself on his face like a dead man. It's like every cell of his body convulsing before the one that created them. And he throws himself on his face until again, Jesus takes his right hand, picks John up and says, don't be afraid. That is what is contained in the flesh of Jesus. I mean, pretty incredibly lofty ideas that John wants to start off his story of Jesus with. I mean, in all of those theological terms and ideas, can we at least just say this? When they saw Jesus, he was more than meets the eye. I mean, let's walk it out. They saw Jesus, and uh, the Bible says in the Old Testament that there's nothing about him that looked particularly special. Uh, when Rebecca and I lived in Louisville, Kentucky, we were uh, both in grad, grad school. Uh, we... It was Easter time, and there was a larger church in the area that was doing a, uh, like an Easter production. And so we went to the Easter production, and they were kind of showing Jesus, and they had like an actor like portraying Jesus and teaching, and they kind of reenacted some miracles. And then at one point, he had to stand before um, Pilate, and he had to be whipped and eventually crucified. But when he's standing before Pilate, you know, they, they have to show like the marks on his back. And so there's Jesus and he's got kind of like a, like a robe, but he doesn't have a shirt on. And at that point, this Jesus is the first time I realized the actor they picked for Jesus was ripped. I mean, the dude was like, I mean, like 2% body fat. He had like massive biceps. And I'm like, I thought Jesus was a carpenter, not a CrossFit trainer. Like that guy, <laughs> Jesus was, was ripped, okay? And I began thinking like that, it, that's not what the Bible says Jesus was like. He wasn't like tall and, you know, kind of good looking or like really muscly. No, the Bible says he was really nothing to look at. Not to mention he's from this small backwoods little city with a funny Galilean accent. 
And like he, he went around teaching. They had to like overcome that to listen to him. They're seeing a guy. He doesn't come from the elite. He doesn't go to all the schools. He just has a craft. He's, his dad was a, a, a carpenter. You know, that's, he worked in construction. He was a, a laborer. He had a, a craft, but he worked with, um, probably literally he worked with either wood or maybe stone. He was a, a, he was a, a worker, a, a laborer. He had a craft. This is not who you'd expect. But on top of that, I mean, just think about, they, they see him and they must have thought like, oh, he's a, he's a rabbi because he's teaching. Oh, he's not just teaching the words of God. He is the word of God. Well, he's a prophet. He's doing all these miracles as signs. No, he's not just working miracles, like defying the natural laws. He invented the natural laws. He's actively holding the natural laws in place. I mean, think about this. I mean, let's go all the way back to that Christmassy scene that we're envisioning. I mean, just can you imagine the shepherds going and they see a manger, which is probably not carved out of wood. It was carved out of stone. And they're told by the angels, go find a baby put in a manger, which is strange, but it's in Bethlehem. It's not that big of a town. So they just go to all the stables until they find a manger with a baby in it. And sure enough, there's a baby in it. And they look and there's stone, um, a stone manger and there's a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, confined by the swaddling cloths. It's not just a baby that is there, it's holding in place. Can you now imagine from John's perspective what he's trying to get us to realize is confined into that human body? I mean, as an adult, how, what must that have been like for Jesus who is the word that's from the beginning, pre-existing everything for all time. He's the one through whom God makes everything in the universe and he has to deal with as a human getting tired and needing sleep and having limits. I mean, can you think of how confined, let alone showing up on earth as a baby? The one who upholds the universe not even able to control his limbs. Have you ever felt confined before? I was um, recently wrestling with my kids. Uh, we were wrestling on, on the couch. There was a lot of tickling going on, and they ganged up on me. And um, one of them put a couch pillow over my face, and then multiples of them sat on it. And I'm thinking as I'm trying to continue tickling them, people die this way. <laughs> this is actually how some are executed, okay? And a panicky feeling starts to rise in me and I'm flailing my arms. Children are flying across the room, okay, at this point. And we had a chat about how daddy can die, okay? Like, I don't know if you've ever felt that panicky feeling of being confined. Can you imagine the almighty, the El Shaddai, almighty confining himself to a human, but more than that, confining himself to a baby that can't hold its head up? Why did he do all of this? He said that he did this to bring life and light to us. He did it to... Out of his love for us, the Father sent the Son out of love for us to save us. We'll continue talking about that over the next couple weeks. 
Suffice it to say, what John says is Jesus was more than meets the eye. Now, why is that important for us? Well, first of all, to worship and understand what we're worshiping this Christmas season, but it's uh, one step more than that. I want to take you to one last verse in the book of John. Here's what it says, John 17, 18. It says, as, this is Jesus' words, and if you remember, we looked at this not too long ago, as you sent me into the world, this is Jesus the Son praying to the Father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. In other words, I want you to imagine this with me. If Jesus was incarnationally sent into the world, Jesus was the presence of God in the flesh, sent to walk through the world. That is later in the same book, John says, in the same way, Father, you sent me incarnationally into the world. Now I am sending my disciples, my mathetes. I am sending them into the world. What does that mean, Christian? That means that we are sent incarnationally into the world. What does that mean? That means you and I are more than meets the eye. That means you are dwelling in this culture, in this generation, in your friend group, your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, you are in this place, and on the outside, it looks like you're just a part of South Florida, but really what you are, you've been given the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, why the New Testament calls you a temple. You are housing the Holy Spirit inside of you and tabernacling in South Florida, moving around, carrying the presence of God. You follow me? In other words, on the outside, you may look like someone that lives in Miami Lakes or Kendall or Hialeah or West Miramar or Weston or Cooper City or Davie or Hollywood or Plantation or Coral Springs. You may just look like a citizen of the cities of South Florida, but you're more than meets the eye. You are sent to that city, carrying the presence of God to bring light and life. That means you may look like a firefighter on the outside, law enforcement officer. You may look like a teacher or a student, a nurse or a doctor. You may look like an executive or a business owner. You may look like a barista. You may look like any number of things. That's what you look like on the outside, but do you know what you're housing? The presence of God, and you have been sent into those contexts by Jesus. The word made flesh is not an option. You have been sent into those contexts to bring about his kingdom. See, uh, church, we talk about the, the vision of seeing South Florida transformed by the gospel. Hear, hear me on this, so important. That's our vision. That's the vision God has given us together as a church. That means if you're part of this church, that's the vision over your life, like it's the vision over my life. This is the vision he's given to City Rev. So if you belong to City Rev, this is the vision on our lives to see South Florida transformed by the power of the gospel in our generation. If he's given us together this vision, hear me, 
the main way this happens is not we come up with some initiative as a church and we come and we do it together or set up some ministry or support some ministry or some work, that will be a part of it, but that is not the main way South Florida is transformed. The main way South Florida is transformed is disciples of Jesus understanding that they, that we have been sent stepping into that mission and not trying to figure out what do I need to do to, 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 to reach South Florida? It's, wow, I'm already here. I've already have neighbors. I already have friends. I already am on social media. I already have a workplace. I already have a school that I go to. I have coworkers and friends and neighbors and family. I'm already here. How can I be the presence of God incarnationally in these spheres? So often I was talking to believers, I'll hear believers, as they're wanting to really step into the mission of God. And they'll say, I'm thinking about stepping into the mission of God, so I'm thinking about starting a ministry or changing my vocation. But Christian, you, that's not, and maybe that's what God wants you to do, but there's something profound right now human lives that God loves all around you. It's profound, and he's placed you right there. That shadow city in Catapurum, those agents right there was a new life assembly, and I talked to their lead pastor over coffee. And across the street was um, is where they were, and they, this is what they did. It's very simple. Some of them just went across the street and just knocked on a few doors. They said, hey, is there anyone sick here that we can pray for? They prayed for the sick, shared the gospel, and a few people came to faith. They brought those people together as a small group. A small group would meet. They'd worship and sing about Jesus. They'd study the word and they would be a good neighbor. And then those neighbors, just to their other neighbors, would just do the same thing. They would just show love to those neighbors. And before long, another small group popped up. And then another, and then another, and then another, and then another, until there were so many people's lives changing in that shadow city there in Chennai, India, that the entire texture of that apartment complex started to change to the degree that this pastor told me. He said, if you walked by there now at a certain time during the evening, instead of profanity raining down, you would hear praise music being sung, echoing through that apartment complex because of all the small groups that were worshiping. And as people turned their lives around, they would actually move out of this shadow city into another more stable part of the city, and guess what? New people would come in. And as people began cycling through this apartment complex, it became an engine for the gospel of people coming to faith. It's very simple. What if it's just being the presence of God to our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends? What if it's not more complicated? than that, just being incarnational right where you are at.
Now, agents, I have a mission for you. I've got to find it. I put it here somewhere. Where did I put this? It's all about the fact that you are more than meets the eye, just like Jesus was more than meets the eye. And I have a, don't know where I put it. Is it one of these files here? No. Well, that says assignments, probably that one. I have this for you. Hang on one second. Let me look through this file here. Sorry, I'll be a little bit more organized next time. I don't know where we put this. It must be in here, you know, but it's all, but it has to do with you are more than meets the eye, just like Jesus was meets the eye. Who would put tinsel here in this box? This is ridiculous. Why would you put tinsel? This is way too much. No office needs this amount of tinsel. That's ridiculous. What is in here? All right, what do we have here in this box? Oh, here we go. That's right. This is from, it's from a former mission. I don't remember exactly what that is. We have this. Oh, here's something that is in this box. Who would keep wrapping paper? This is an office, for goodness sakes. What do we have here? Oh, I see. We've got this garden hoe. Don't need that in an office, you know. See, I know the files here. So, oh, I know what it must be. I think Survival Dan left that in here, a mission that he went through. I, okay, here we go. I got it right here. Okay. Here is your top secret mission, all about more than meets the eye. Um, if you are at the Cooper City headquarters, um, there are some agents that are going to pass out your, uh, your envelopes. If you're here at the West Pines headquarters, go ahead and grab one of those envelopes. Um, uh, in front of you. Now, you'll notice it says top secret, do not open. Each week, your mission will be contained in this. And I just want you to know that if you open it before it's time, it will explode, okay? So I don't want you to test this. We don't want to lose more lives like we have previously with recruits. But now is an okay. We've deactivated all the explosives. You may go ahead and open as you get one of those. Um, you can go ahead and open it. And everyone needs one. It's not one per family. This is every single agent needs one of those. I see some of you looking like you don't need one. I mean, if you want to become a licensed agent, you need this. Okay. I want you to go ahead and pull out your mission. Now, you're also, um, grab a pen. You may need it. Let me go ahead and read this mission to you. This is your mission for this week. Do your best to accomplish this mission. You are needed for a special assignment of highest secrecy. Please attend the next top secret service. Ready to train hard, take risks, and learn new skills in order to complete your mission. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to meet your neighbors and know their name. Fill out the neighbor grid below and get to know them. This is about making people your mission. It occurs to me, it would be hard to minister to your neighbors if you don't know all their names. So we're gonna start very simply, once you are the smiley face, I want you to go ahead and test yourself. Get out a pen, grab a pen, I want you to test yourself. If you are in an apartment complex, I want you to see those the people below you, to the side of you, above you. If you are in a neighborhood, this is the people in front of you, beside you, behind you. See how many of your neighbor's names you can actively fill out. You may say, I've lived in my house for 13 years, there is one neighbor that I wave at every day, still don't know their name, and walked into the garage. Or you may say, there's a neighbor in my apartment complex or the condo I live in, and we introduced ourselves 17 years ago. I don't know their name, and it'd be pretty awkward to ask at this point. That's your mission. That's your mission. Now, don't be going through anybody's mail. I don't want you to get arrested. 
you might just need to have a simple conversation where you say, hello. We wave at each other every day. At one point, I thought you said your name was William. I could be wrong. Is it not William? It's Todd. I was way off. I'm terribly sorry, but I wanted to get to know you. Todd, I will write it down, and you'll write it down on your grid. Maybe you are going to have um, uh, extra effort, and you are also going to fill out the people who sit around you at work or at school. Now, here's why it's so important. I want you to fill this out this week. If there's anyone you don't know, your mission is to get to know their names, and your mission is this. These names, think about this. These are the names of the individuals you have been called to. They're not just people to wave to from a distance. You don't have to go create something to be on mission for God. These are actually the names of the people you have been sent to. Write their names down. Begin to have a conversation and begin to pray for these names. These are the people you've been sent to. You can't love your neighbor if you don't even know who they are. Get to know your neighbors this week. That's your mission. Now, we're going to close. And I want to close with this. Um, and this is an idea we're going to be talking about for a couple weeks. Maybe you're here or maybe you're at Cooper City and your idea about who Jesus is was not how John is describing Jesus. Maybe your idea of who Jesus is is he was a religious leader, a teacher, a prophet. He is God in the flesh, the Son of God. And if Jesus is God then he's first place in our life. We worship him. We give him everything. It all belongs to him. Every part of who I am. My life, my mission, my goals, my purpose, my possessions, my belonging, my story. Every part of me belongs to him. And I want to challenge some of you to give your lives to Jesus today. Because that's the scripture, what the scripture says about who John is. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Lord Jesus, we are honored to remember who you are. Remember who that baby was in the manger. The most, you came to give yourself to the world. The most Christmassy thing we could do is to be on mission like you sent us. Lord, I lift up those now who are challenged because what the Bible says about who Jesus is is different than what they are imagining in their minds about who Jesus is. I pray that you would draw them to surrender their lives to you today. For those of you watching online or here with your head bowed and eyes closed, those of you at Cooper City, if you want to give your life to Jesus and surrender to him, just, lead, just say this simple prayer silently in your seat. Just say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I will follow, to you, follow you and I make you my Lord my God, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you're here and you gave your life uh, to Jesus today, we want to know about it. You can come tell us, pull one of us aside. You can also go to the front lobby. They would love to know that you put your faith in Jesus. In fact, they have a Bible for you. Um, for those of you watching online, you can go to 
to uh, cityrev.org, um, cityrev.org slash faith. We will uh, mail you a Bible. It's going to ask you a few questions, but we want to begin this journey with you knowing about who Jesus is. And in fact, church, that's really this whole season is about Jesus. And so we're going to close our time together just singing a song about who Jesus is and worshiping him because we want to kick off the season as a church full of worship. Would you stand with me as we worship Jesus? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.